Welcome to Greater Alton Church. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good to have you with us this morning. If it's your first time here, my name's Tim, and welcome to Greater Alton Church. Today, uh, we're continuing our series in uh, the series we're calling Storyteller, where Jesus tells stories. Today, I want to look at the probably the most popular story that all of us are probably familiar with, even more than the wise and foolish builders from last week, and that's the parable of the sower. Uh, I've been a Christian uh, for about 40 years. Next month, I'll, have, I'll celebrate my 38th year of being a Christian. That's a long time. And uh, one, of the, it's the, one of the great things about being a Christian a long time is you get to see all kinds of good things happen. You get to see people's lives change. You get to see people become Christians, you know. Uh, I think uh, last week, you know, Angie was baptized. And so it was just really cool, you know, to see that kind of stuff happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but it's just really, really cool to watch people like that come to Christ and uh, watch churches grow, watch ministries grow. Um, I've watched, I was part of a youth ministry that grew from three to fifty in just about three years. It was exciting to watch. Just like we caught a wave and really great young people. And, and then to, to move here back in 1985, uh, June the 1st, I've been here, uh, goodness, 85, that's how many years is that? 30 years? Oh my goodness. Oh, I just realized that. Oh my. Uh, <laughs> wow. And, um, and to think about that, that, you know, I've uh, been here longer than any place in my life. Uh, I consider, you know, the the Alton area my home, and um, and so I just uh, uh, to watch all that is kind of cool. To watch many of you grow up, you know, I've watched uh, now. I'm doing church camp again down Little Prairie, and to see some of the counselors being that used to be campers that age, uh, it's a little bit sobering at times, but at the same time very rewarding to see. But I got to admit to you. Uh, with all the good, I've also, I also can remember a lot of people who became Christians who fell away. Lots of people. Lots of people. I'm not talking about people who went to other churches. I'm talking about people who just left Jesus altogether. I'm reminded of uh, the very first person that, I, that comes to mind. His name was Tom Wells. And he was baptized the same day I was. We were baptized in the same baptistry. We heard the same sermon. We went to the same church afterwards. And as we were working on an addition for our children's ministry, I remember doing some painting and asking somebody, where's Tom? Where's Tom? And a real long pause. I'm going, what, what's going on? Well, he's not here anymore. Well, what happened? Well, he, he fell away. What does that mean? That's what I ask people. What, is, what do you mean fall away? Like, was he climbing a tree? I'm thinking these kind of things. Because I'd never heard the term fall away before. And so they begin to explain to me, well, he left God. He's... He, so he's going to church somewhere else? No, he's not even going to church at all, Tim. Well, what happened? And he began to explain to me. And I couldn't help but think as I heard this, this shocking news for me personally was, I was, and as I'm painting, I'm thinking, I was baptized the same day. What's going to happen to me? I did. I worried about that. And here I am still, you know, almost 40 years later, uh, still a Christian. And I'm thinking, how does that happen? How does it, you know, not only how, why do people fall away, but how do, how do people last? How do they, how do they keep going? And, uh, but it, it goes by so quickly. Uh, that's what I've noticed. And, and so then I started looking at the parable of the sower for this week and couldn't help but start thinking about how this story is about lasting faith. Because you see a lot of references to time quickly, short time. You, 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 a maturity, fruit. You see all these words that imply having a faith that lasts. Now we're going to be looking at uh, we're going to be looking at uh, 
Mark chapter 4, and if you'd like to turn there, um, I'm going to use my iPhone and um, my glasses here, and um, I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation. Uh, here's, here's the, we're going to look at Matthew or Mark chapter 4, and if you'd like to read along, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. <clears throat> it says, once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. A very large crowd soon fo- gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling them many stories in the form of parables, such as, as this one. Listen, he says, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across the field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on the uh, shallow soil uh, with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon withered... See all the time references? The plant soon withered away under the hot sun, and since it did not have deep roots, it died other seed fell among thorns and grew up and, and choked out the tender plants so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they sprouted, grew, and pr- produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a 100 times as much as it had been planted. Then he said, anyone who has ears to hear should listen and understand. Later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. He replied, You are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God, but I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they'll learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, If you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly... The message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Jesus tells this story. You're familiar with the parable of the sower. I know you all know this story. And you probably have some ideas of what the story is about. You've heard sermons. You've heard me even preach. Some of you have heard me preach on this several times. But I didn't look at any of the old sermons. I didn't clip and paste any of that stuff. I decided to really look at this with a fresh eye and try to get what is this parable really about. You know, too often we look at parables, familiar ones especially, and miss a lot of stuff. We just read over too quickly, or we've already got our minds made up as to what it's talking about. Now today we're going to look at some similar thoughts. You're going to go, well, I knew that, I knew that. And last week I said, I didn't realize the wise and foolish builders were in the same area, in the same field, or in the same valley. And I had many of you say, I did, I did, I did, no duh. Well, I'm glad, you're, I'm glad you know that. I didn't. I, I was taken back by that, okay? But there may be something in this parable that was going to take you back this morning as well. So it's very important that you, if you have an ear, like Jesus says, listen to what this parable's about. 
You know, look what, look what, look at this first verse we're going to look at here up on the screen. Look what it says here in Mark 4. Jesus said to them, after they asked him, what's the meaning of this parable? There's only a handful of parables that Jesus goes on to explain. I think there's like three. And here, he, he says to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? Now, we've been trying to do these parables in chronological order. And so this parable of the sower is early on. And the challenge Jesus gives you and I this morning as disciples is, hey, listen, if you've got ears, you really listen to this. Because this is going to help you understand all the other parables too. It's going to come in handy later. So what is this parable about? What is this parable trying to teach? Well, I, I, I see four things Jesus is trying to teach here. Let's just go through them. First, God wants everyone to hear the good news. Praise God. God wants everyone to hear the good news. Do you want everyone to hear the good news? God does. He wants everyone to hear this. You know, the way people farmed in Palestine is much different than the way I've learned, and maybe you know, in the Midwest. You know, today we plow the field with a tractor, we disc it, and we get all the seed ready to go, and then we plant it in rows. My dad was a, oh my goodness, he had to have these rows straight, and if they were crooked, he'd get so upset. Then you pour chemicals on them, maybe use some nitrogen, you know, different kinds of fertilizers. Uh, that's, that's the way you plant, and you cultivate it with a cultivator. Did a lot, I've done a lot of bean fields and cornfields in my lifetime as a farmer uh, out in Golden Gate, Illinois. But the Palestinians, or the Palestine in, in, in that particular area, those people were different. They sowed seed like you'd sow grass to, to, in your yard. And maybe you don't have one of those fancy things you crank, but you just do it by hand and save you a couple of bucks. And they would take and spread their wheat. They'd just throw it. It would just scatter. And the seed would go, who knows where it would go? Wind could catch it or, or just the way they throw it. Maybe they throw it a little extra harder at one place or another place. But it would scatter everywhere. And what a picture that, that Jesus is giving you and I this morning with the parable of the sower. He wants his seed everywhere. He wants it with every person. He wants to give every person a chance to hear what he has to say. The good news, the gospel. I got to tell you something. I was in the first service and I was telling them that usually I preach to the choir in the first service. I call them the choir. I said, but every once in a while, even the choir can sound a little off key in certain places, okay? We're not perfect in the first service. But I told them in the second service, I'm probably going to have to say this. And what are you going to say? What are you meaning, Tim? Well, just like there are different kinds of soils in this story, there's different kinds of hearts also in this, in this room. They're all different places. In different places than I am. I'm in a different place than you are. We're all in different places. So this, this story really needs to stick this morning. If you want to understand anything else, any other things that Jesus talks about, he spent, my goodness, over a third of his words are parables. You want to get this. You want to get what he's trying to say here. And one of the things he's saying is, everybody needs to hear the good news. Look what he says here in verses 3. Uh, through eight, I took pieces of it. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on a footpath, other seed fell on a shallow soil, other seed fell among thorns, and still others fell on fertile soil. I want you to know this morning, regardless of where your heart is this morning, and it may be miles different, miles totally, I mean totally different than the person sitting next to you, God wants you to hear something this morning. Whether you're a good soil, or thorny soil, 
or rocky soul, or you're just a hard-headed, bull-headed guy. Okay? Of course, there's no women that are that way, just guys. I want to say to you, I just saw some men poking some women. Now look out, okay? Bang, with the elbow there. Hey, watch it. But I want you to know, guys, whether, you, wherever you are, if you're just one of those people, people would say, man, you're just a hard-headed guy. Jesus wants you to hear the good news. You'd think, wait a second. You know, farmer, you're being stupid, scattering seed like that and so carelessly. And God is not careless and He's not foolish. I know you and I, we want to be a little more, work a little smarter. And God says, I think you ought to work a little more spiritual. And you don't waste my seed when you share it with other people. We, we should want to hear. We want to make sure people hear the Word of God. Look at what Paul says to Timothy. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And he talks about kings and people in authority. And in verse 3 he says, This is good and pleases God our Savior. And catch this. Who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. He wants everyone to know, to understand what the Bible says, what, what His message is. So, regardless of the condition of the heart, God wants everyone to hear His message. Number two, God wants everyone to enjoy a fruitful life. He wants you and I, He wants everyone to enjoy a fruitful life. You know, I, I get the impression, you know, Jesus is talking here and He's going, okay, some seed. I get to see He's so calm. I, I get this, I don't know, I just have this idea Jesus is not like a beatnik, but close, you know. He's like, okay. You know, some of you don't know what a beatnik is, do you? You can Google it. You can Google that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so he's, He goes, you know, some, some seed fell among the path and the birds come and got it. Okay. And then it fell among thorns. It fell among rocks. But then it fell among good soil. You could just see him getting all juiced up about this. And all of a sudden he's excited. You know, he's got a grin on his face. It fell among good soil. And this seed produced 30, 60, 100 times of what was sown. Isn't that awesome? I mean, it's even got an exclamation point to get that impression in, the, in our Bibles, you know. And you can just see the disciples going, I want to be that. I get the impression this is good. Well, yeah. Fruit is wonderful. How many of you have put out a garden already? You've got a garden out. Right. Yeah. Tomatoes. Right. Uh, peppers. I got some relatives. We went back home to watch uh, Brandy, uh, her graduation. And Terry is saying, we already got peppers. I said, we just got our garden out. And he goes, we already got peppers. And I go, well, la-di-da. Guess you're something, you know. And he did. Had little, two little peppers. I almost thought about, well, let's get rid of them. Now you don't have any peppers, <laughs> you know. But I didn't. I went, oh, that's nice. That's nice. But you know, isn't that the way it is when we're planting? Denise and I were planting. Uh, we put out a garden last year. We put out, I think, four or five tomato plants, cherry tomatoes. And as I'm mowing the field, I have to make my way over to some cherry tomatoes and pop, pop, and then keep going, you know. And, and uh, how come this, this, this tomato plant's not producing any tomatoes? I don't know why. I'm, let me think about it. I missed it. But some, some animal must be eating the tomatoes. He's riding a, a lawnmower. But, you know, this year, you, you know, we put, out, we put out several tomato plants. We put out big boys and little cherry tomatoes. And I know that uh, somebody's going to be bringing tomatoes to church. 
And maybe it'll be us this year. And we'll be, you know, giving them out because we got too many tomatoes. We're excited about that as we're planting them. We're planting green beans this year. And Denise goes, yeah, we could use these for the chowder in October. Oh, cool. And I can already visualize, you know, a mound of green beans. And I'm putting the seeds. I mean, they're only, they're just now going in the dirt. And I've already got them picked and, and ready to go in the pot. We get excited about the harvest, don't we, when we're planting? We know what's coming. And I think Jesus, I think Jesus just, just confirms how God is. He wants us to enjoy the fruit of a Christian life. He wants us to enjoy the results of His Word and how it changes us. He deeply wants it. And He wants it to be great results. You know, the typical uh, harvest in Palestine is seven times what you plant. And if it's a real good year, it can be up to ten times. But Jesus says, when I plant my seed, the Word of God in you, I'm looking for thirty, sixty, a hundred times. I mean, that's just like... Like miracle grow. Incredible, man. Look at the size. Look at the stuff that's coming out of this person's life. God wants to bless my life abundantly. And I want you to notice, it's not only the, the size of the harvest that I notice, but the difference in the sizes. That amongst, it, amongst His disciples... By the way, if you want to understand chapter 4 of Mark, read chapter 3. And you see the types of soils... The people, in chapter 3, he talks about with this story in Mark chapter 4. But I noticed that amongst those that are very fruitful, they're different. Guys, you don't have to bear as much fruit as somebody else sitting next to you. Aren't you glad? There's always somebody you compare yourself to. Either that will depress you or make you arrogant, depending on who it is. That's why it's never good to compare yourself with somebody else. You'll either feel good or bad, and both are inaccurate. And so a lot of times, you know, you know you'll maybe look at somebody and go, Well, they're not very fruitful. I am, though. I must be better. God allows different amounts of fruit. You hear me? God allows different amounts of fruit. It's all big when it's God's. It's all a big deal when it's God's. And it's important, listen, it is important that you bear fruit. God wants that. When He planted the Word in you, He was thinking about the green beans later. He was thinking about the chowder later. He's thinking about the harvest later. And what, what a harvest He's looking forward to seeing. It's important to Him. Look at here in John 15. Look what He says here. I am the vine... My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. I know there's two things there. One is, fruit matters to him so much, if there's no fruit, he'll cut you off. That's how important fruit is to him. He said, when you follow me and you're connected to me, there's supposed to be results. If there are no results, you're not connected, so why not? Why bother? But he also says, if you're fruitful, I'm going to do a little cutting on you anyway. Because I even want to see more. I want to see more in your life. Look at verse 8 here in the, New, uh, the uh, Living Bible. It says it this way. 
Because my, my disciples, my true disciples, produce bountiful harvests. This brings great joy to my Father. Well, what kind of fruit are we talking about here, Tim? Oh, my goodness. There's, there's, there's so many different ways fruit can be born in, in our lives. You could do a study of that. Just look up the word fruit and see that. It, fruit can refer to our good works, the result, our influence, the spread of the gospel, bringing people to Christ. It can also refer to the character of Christ being developed in us. And there's something rewarding, like sinking your teeth in a good ripe tomato, when you know you're being like Jesus, and it was a choice based on faith, not natural tendencies, but I, I know I did the right thing there. God wants us, to, wants us to not only hear the good news, wants everybody to hear it, but He longs that everybody bear fruit in their life and enjoy that fruit. Number three, this is interesting to me because I feel like this is really the, the big point that he's making, these next two points he's making in this, in this passage, and that is the condition of my heart determines my response. The condition of my heart determines my response. I noticed as I was reading the, this chapter in Mark, uh, as I was reading it to you, a thought came to my mind, and that is the idea that my receptivity and, and my resilience are connected. What I listen to and how I last are connected. And if I'm, if I'm listening to the Word of God, I'm going to last. I'm not talking about just hearing it, but if I'm listening to it, applying, considering it, thinking about it, Then I then I last. You see, I noticed something. I noticed something as you read chapter three, Mark chapter three, and bring it in to the parable of the sower. Not everybody responds the same way to Jesus. Not everybody responds to what he has to say the same way. The Pharisees want to kill him. The crowd just wants more food. They just want another miracle. His family thinks he's crazy. His disciples think he's Jesus. He's the Lord. He's the Messiah. Four different responses to what he, the same message. And why is it? Is it the seed? No, there's nothing wrong with the seed. The seed works just fine. Is it the sower? It must be the sower. And a lot of times we'll say that. We'll say, well, you know, I know people that, that can't be led to Christ because a guy did a poor job with a sermon or a guy did a poor job presenting the gospel. Or I, I, if I would have said this, maybe that would have tilted the scales the other way and they'd become a Christian. I got news for you. I know people that can't explain anything very well and they're fruitful. You know them. I mean, they're very good at They couldn't do a sermon. They, could, they couldn't present a lesson. And they just share a few verses and, they, and they, they show their life. And this person's interested in becoming a Christian. How did that happen? It had nothing to do with the seed. It had nothing to do with the sower. I don't know about you, but I find that very reassuring. That means I can flub it up and it's okay. <laughs> huh? I can flub it up. I can really mess it up and it's going to be all right. You know what really determines it? The soil. The soil. It's the, it's the greatest factor in the formula of the Word of God growing in a person's life. It's the condition of the heart. So as the Lord encourages His disciples here, He's saying, listen guys, you're going to be spreading the Word of God, you're going to be spreading the Gospel all over the place. And, but understand, three out of four, it ain't going to work out too good. Three out of four. Three-fourths of the people you're working with, 
not going to be so hot. I don't know about you, but that reassures me. I just need to be faithful and sow the seed. Just need to be faithful and share my, my faith with people. Share Jesus with people. And their hearts are going to determine whether or not they're going to accept what's said. I'm all in favor of getting a better technique. If a guy's catching more fish than me, I want to know what bait he's using. Okay, if a person's more effective, I get that. I, I, I'm, I'm curious about it. But it still comes down to the condition of the heart. And so Jesus breaks down these hearts. And He looks at each one of these people. The kind of people He'd just been with in chapter 3. He brings to the forefront in this, in this story. The first people He refers to are the hard-hearted, or the bull-headed, or the stubborn, or the st- stuck-in-their-ways, or uh, uh, cathedral uh, crusty old... Have I made my point? They're stubborn hard-hearted people. They're like a pathway. Look what he says here. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. And look at the time factor. The reason, the reason these people can't last is because they can't even get started. The footpath we know is, is a path you would walk on. You know, you've probably seen path, you know, trails you've walked on, whether Pierre Marquette or you, you have paths you know, through somebody's yard or whatever. The paths usually were the, the boundaries of the fields in ancient times. And people were constantly walking these. And it's the constant trampling, the constant action on these fields that keep it hard. The same old, same old thing constantly happening keeps the seed from getting in. Hearts on this pathway... Hearts that are like the pathway are the kind of hearts that are easily offended. They, they, they get turned off immediately. They've made up their mind. And they're not going to hear anymore. They blow off challenge. They've heard enough. And their pride and their ego, listen to me, keep them from learning anything else God's trying to tell them. See, I get the, I, I used to have this idea that these four soils are people who are pagans. These are four types of religious people. And Jesus was hard on us, the religious people. And these are the Pharisees. These are the Pharisees. They've been Christians a long time, and they've got some hardening going on. They're not even aware of it. Is it their own fault? Absolutely. Because every time they resist the Word of God, every time they resist God trying to say something to them, every time they, they, they go to their old traditional ways, it's like a hundred people marching on their heart till it's hard as a rock. So nothing, they don't learn anything new. They've reached their point. And they miss it. Satan comes along, and just as quickly as they heard it, it's snatched away. Some of you, unfortunately, today, are going to hear something in this sermon and go, you know what, I need to hear that. And by the time you get to your car, it's already, the opportunity is going to already be gone. Because your heart is hard. You won't listen. People have been trying to talk to you. God's been trying to get your attention. But you refuse to listen. You think you're doing okay. Look at what the Bible says here about the hard-hearted. 
Blessed is the one who always trembles before God. He's not talking about somebody living in terror, but somebody who recognizes and respects, fears the Lord. But whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. I read this just a few hours ago. I found this in Job. It's not on your screen. And it says in Job 9 verse 4, Who can harden himself against God and prosper? We all know the answer to that. But Jesus moves on from this hard-hearted person and moves into another type of hard-hearted person. This one has a thin veneer of, it looks like good soil, but if you get a little deep, get a little deep into something, get a little into something that's a sacred cow, their heart is the, the path. Maybe harder, because it's rock. Look at this, and it's the impulsive heart in verses 16 through 17. The seed of the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. One loses... I get the impression that each part of soul, it's a progressiveness to it. One instantly, instantly, they don't, they don't get, they lose. Here they, they grow a little bit, but they don't last. Faith don't even begin. Faith barely makes it. Maybe, maybe that's Tom Wells. Maybe this is what Tom was about. It says, They fell away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. It was very common in Palestine to have this soil like this with some limestone just under the surface. And you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know what this soil was like until you planted something there and watched it for a while. And I get the idea here, guys, that this kind of person has a faith that's deep enough to touch their heart. Woo! Yeah! What are we doing? Yeah! All right, praise God! They can whoop it up. Thank you, Jesus! Yeah. Enough to touch their heart, but not deep enough to transform their heart. They live, they live for the enthusiasm that's on the outside, not inside. I, I, I'm sorry, I don't want, mean to beat anybody up this morning, but we've got to understand something. This is about following Jesus, not following an emotion. I love God. I love Jesus. And I've made lots of decisions based on emotions. I love that car. And I signed the dotted line, and it was a piece of junk. What was I thinking? What was I thinking? Look at this. Look at this passage here in Proverbs. Getting excited about something without knowledge isn't good. It's bad. <laughs> That's what he's saying. It's even worse to be in, lux- uh, be in a hurry and miss the way. These are the crowds. These are the crowds. I listened to some family members telling me about how their church is growing like gangbusters in Dallas. Man, it's just, it's tripled or it's doubled or something in size. It's been, this, this young fella, man, he is preaching. He's, I mean, people are coming in like crazy. And I go, where were you going to church for that? Oh, another mega church down the street. I just, and yet we find out, we find out that uh, Christianity, less people are calling themselves Christians today. 
Less and less and less and less and less. Who are these people? Where are they coming from? Other churches. They're just moving around. It's like it's like it's a restaurant chain or something. Hey, man, uh, have you heard about this new restaurant? We've got to go try it. I like it. And I love their music. I like their preacher. I like their building. In the first service, we're in a, in a room that's got ripped up carpeting and places in the wall that have been patched by a paint that's a different color. I couldn't make much of a point there. Now we're in the dome. We've got a monolithic dome. It can withstand hurricane forces. Tim can preach for hours. And we, I, honestly, guys, you know, we, we, people are making up their mind going to, I remember, you guys remember when we were building this thing? Someone said, you're going to get a bubble in attendance. It's going to shoot up after you get this done. And we did. All attendance <laughs> took a big leap up. Where'd they all go? Well, another place built another church building, or they served a different kind of coffee, or they had a they had some kind of perk or some kind of music, or I like I like the way they do colors, or I like the carpet, or I like the PowerPoint better, or I like the little clips, and I, I think he's funnier, I think he's sadder, I think he's more. It's not a, nothing about Jesus, nothing about Jesus. It's all about all this other. I was going to say crap. I mean, why are you here? I know people have left here over ashtrays, have left here, we don't sing the old songs, petty, petty, petty stuff. And honestly, guys, I'm going to tell you, I've been bit by this virus too. What preacher, what church doesn't want to be larger and more popular and everybody go, wow, that's the place to be. And we had our ego stroked for years. Oh, this is the place to be. Oh, they sing better. They do better. They're all better, 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 better. But then when the fun started changing, I noticed that the attendance, the faces started changing. I'm not mad at you this morning. But I sure am frustrated sometimes. i got to be honest with you. I'm frustrated. Why are you here? Well, you don't act like you don't want us here. Not if it's all about this junk. You know, we, we talked about getting rid of this building. Oh my, our attendance will go down the tank. You're kidding me! Over a building? Yeah, over a building. And that's what happens. We get, we get all caught up emotionally in something. But then when the problems come... And we start saying, well, Jesus, I don't understand. I don't understand. You were supposed to make me happy. I listen, I listen to a TV evangelist look in the camera and say, Jesus wants you to have a wonderful life. And I said, and I thought, now what do you mean by wonderful, Joyce? What do you mean by wonderful? And in the context of what she was talking about, it's everything up and to the right and everything wonderful and no problems. And, and I'm like, what? The things I read in my Bible are from people that got their heads cut off, sawed in two, burned at a stake. I don't know. I don't look up to the right to me. Okay, It doesn't appear that way. And yet to Jesus it is. It's up and to the right that leads to heaven itself. 
But that's what happens to people who are rocky. They get all, they get all caught up in woo and wow. And I'm not saying, we, by the way, is it okay to be excited about the Lord? Absolutely. Should we be urgent and obey the Bible as we hear it? Absolutely. But we've got to get deeper than that because the time, that says in Luke, the time of testing will come. Your faith will be tested. And it's going to be tested with problems. Some of you here know what I'm talking about. The reason you're still standing here and the reason I'm still here is because our lives actually got worse after we became a Christian in a lot of ways. And we, somebody was, we were fortunate enough to have somebody tell us that. To communicate that to us. Years ago, baptized a fellow, he's an attorney, and just a few weeks after he was baptized, he gets to lunch with, has lunch with me. He goes, Tim, I had a major million-dollar court case. I lost it. And you told me if I followed Christ, I'd be successful. And I said, well, listen, following Jesus doesn't mean you'll be a good lawyer. Now. You kind of work into that. And I said, besides, the word success may not be the same as you're thinking as the Bible. Because, oh, I get it. Now you're going to redefine what success is. I learned a couple of things. One is, I may have not taught him as good as I could have to understand what true success in following Christ is about. It's not about being problem-free. Forget that. I got more problems because, guys, you're going to get more problems because you follow Christ. Many of you do. Yeah, you, some of you really do. Some of you say, well, I have less problems. Praise God, I'm happy for you. <laughs> and maybe, maybe it'll work the other way. I'm waiting for it, okay? But for me, it wasn't that way. It got really bad. It got really hard. Because when you're following Christ, you're going against the grain of society. You're going against the world. And you're going against Satan himself. Look what the Bible says here. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. Yippee! Don't you want to get your little flag out and go, Oh, boy! He says that. Paul, who was beheaded, said, You know, it's, not, it's only a privilege and an honor to believe in Him. It's a privilege and an honor to suffer with Him. You're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. How is Tom able to get through what he's going through right now with Jackie? He told me how. It's his allegiance and his faith in Christ. That God has... He sees beyond Barnes Hospital. When Tom can't see anything but his wife and I see you, God sees beyond that. And he says, I'm going to, I'm going to put my trust in that one. The greatest physician. I don't know. I'm just, where are you at? You find yourself sometimes with this. This one here really resonates with me around here because I find some of us here, we get really excited as long as everything's good and, and, you're, and you're entertained and, you're, and you're, you know, it's not inconvenient, you're going to be okay. But as soon as it gets a little problem, you start finding, you find out where you're really set. Don't worry about me. You better worry about you. Where do you stand when, it gets, when the problems come? When things don't work out like you want them to? What Jesus says is what happens is because they don't have deep roots. And that's not my fault. That's your fault. That's not your mom or dad or somebody else. It's your fault. If you don't have deep roots, 
you're not going to last very long. And then he talks about this divided heart. That's the fourth heart, or third heart he talks about, divided heart. Some seed fell among thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly. Have you noticed that time reference again? Quickly, what happens to them? The message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. The other one didn't produce grain, and this one doesn't produce fruit either. Now, it stays alive. It doesn't die. It's still alive, but there's no fruit. And what does God want more than anything? He wants you to have fruit, not just exist. And he says, who are these people? I think these are his family, the ones that would say, you're crazy. Or Jesus, you'd, you, don't, you need to be careful. They're worried about stuff. And he goes, you know, my mother and brothers are those who do the will of God. And it's these people, these kinds of people, that, that this divided thorny soil are the kind of people who make this commitment to Christ, but then other things start getting in the way, and they refuse to deal with it. I, I tell you, I, again, I've, I've not been Christian as long as some of you in here, but I've been a Christian long enough to know this. When I was a baby Christian, I had no money. I was very generous. When I was a Christian, I didn't have much of a job. Didn't have, didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't have, I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. I had lots of time for church stuff. Then I got married. There's God's to-do list and the honey-do list. All of a sudden, there's something growing else growing in my heart. Kids come along. By the way, everything I'm mentioning, job, uh, promotions, more hours. Are these all are these bad things? No. They're good things. You know what's interesting about this type of soil? It grows weeds just as good as it grows other that's good stuff. You know what I'm saying? Well, I found out the other day we're going to get some uh, horse manure for our garden next year. And Danny gave me a little warning. Just remember, when you put horse manure in the garden, I go, wow, what happens? He goes, he goes well, all the weeds, man, they really come strong because they're in the horse manure, you know. And I go, really? Yeah, you're gonna, you'll be battling the weeds. And this, this kind of heart has got all this other stuff that's growing. You know, when you're young, when you start. And guys, I know, I'm old now. I'm an old guy. I got more stuff, more things, more worries, more focus, and less energy. Less energy. And I've had, you know, I've realized I have to adjust now at 57. I've got to learn to work smarter, work more spiritual if I really want to produce fruit for the Lord. But some of us here, you know, it's in a, something. I mean, you remember how you had plenty of time for a quiet time and plenty of time to get with people and plenty of time to, to volunteer and get involved in the ministry. But now what's happened? What has happened? Something has crowded it out. You can only hold so much and you're trying to have both. And you know what happens to people like this? They're stuck. I have a pine tree in, in the back, my backyard. And I, it's along with, I planted 50 trees 20 years ago. 50 pine trees. When we first moved out there, they were only this tall. And some of these trees I've got are almost 14 inches in diameter. They're white pines. And they're, they're tall and big and they're about 14, 16 inches in diameter. But I have one down by the fire pit 
you, some of you people have been to my house probably have never seen it. It's only about five inches in diameter. It was planted the same time all the others, and there was an R in the month. That meant it was safe to put a, you know, plant trees. If you ask me later, I'll tell you what that means. Never plant a tree unless there's an R in the month. And so I planted them at the right time, and this tree is still five inches in diameter. And it's as old as the one 14 to 16 inches in diameter. What's the difference? Well, around it, I noticed several things. I've got those wild rose thorn bushes, and I've got Virginia creeper. A lot of people think that's poison ivy. It's not. Virginia creeper. But then I got a grapevine that just took that tree over. And so the tree's like the Charlie Brown Christmas tree, looking at me like, help me. And I finally thought, maybe I need to cut this thing and clear it out and do some, you know. And So I chopped the, the tree and everything. And here's what I noticed. And this year, that tree, after three years, I did this three years ago, it is still at five inches. Hasn't grown a bit. It's stuck. I think of how many Christians who we initially were so excited about following Christ, and you ought to be. You ought to be excited. You still ought to be. And it's best thing, best decision you could ever make. But then all these other things happen. You start getting older. You get married. You start having kids. God blesses you with a great husband or great wife. Great kids. Now I got two great grandkids. I'm so thankful. Very good kids. You know, they cry. I don't even notice it. I didn't know that grandparents didn't have. I, I was like, I don't care. Why do I? Why, why don't I care about them crying? You don't have to go home with them. Yeah. That must be it. I got two good girls, you know, daughter-in-laws. I, I mean, I've got all this stuff. But, you know, with that comes focus and time and responsibility. And if I'm not careful, all these good things will crowd out what God wants me to do. I need you to volunteer. I, I, I can't. I've got, I've got a family thing. And it's always a family thing. All the time. 90% of the time. We need volunteers. I can't do it. Why? Well, I've got this thing I'm doing. Or, you know, work is... Uh, and, and by the way, we'll go to work. We'll be hanging on by a thread and still make it to work. But I've got a little sinus issue. I'm staying home from church or I'm not going to group. See what's happened? It's just slowly got crowded out. And you know what you're going to have when, you're, when it's all crowded out? You're going to be still around five inches. You're going to be... You're alive... Listen to me. Listen to me. You're here, but you're not bearing any fruit. You're not going to bear, bear any fruit until you do something drastic. No fruit is produced. I could see Jesus going, man, that's not what I want. I want people to, to have fruit in their life. You're spiritually stunned. Stunt. Uh, stunted, you are what's happened to you is you're in spiritual suspended animation you're just right there Paul talks about a friend a co-worker, a close friend named Demas and near the end of his ministry he's talking to Timothy and look what it says up here on the screen it says here that he's do your best to come to me quickly he's in prison he says, For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. I was reading a little bit about this passage, and there's another fellow that was from Thessalonica called Aristarchus. 
And these two guys, totally different guys, both from the same town, and one stays faithful. But Demas deserts Paul. Well, it doesn't say he fell away. Well, why did he leave, Demas? A lot of people speculate. Maybe it was the persecution. Maybe he just had his fill working with people. I heard somebody say one time, Christianity would be great if it didn't mean all those people. And maybe, maybe that had to be a preacher. Okay, so, you know, say or a leader or something. I understand that. But he leaves for some reason. Maybe he's tired of just the grind. Maybe he's tired of, of putting God first and feeling like he's getting shafted. But I guarantee he didn't just leave because he was going to go help the church of Thessalonica. Look at this next passage. He loved the world. And look what the Bible says. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. It's crowded out. It's crowded out. So I have to be very careful. I have to be careful. Then there's the receptive heart. The receptive heart. It's the good heart. I think... um, Look, it says, it says it says it fell among good soil, the Bible says. It's the good heart. And the harvest is 30, 60, even 100 times as much has been planted. These are the disciples. He's reassuring them. And Luke says it this way, But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and look what it says. There's the secret by perseverance, produce a crop. They last. They keep listening and retaining what God has to say. They're open to what He has to say. And this leads me into this last point, because it relates to this one so much. If it's true that I'm responsible for my receptivity, or that, that my response is based on that, then the fourth point's got to be, I'm responsible for maintaining a receptive heart. It's really on me. It's on you. Look what Jesus says in the message. Other translations say, He who has an ear, let him hear. Message says, Are you listening to this? Really listening? He's saying it's important that you hear this. It's important you get this. It's important you don't miss this. What Jesus, what are you saying? It's on you, Tim. And ladies and gentlemen, it's on you. It is on you on the kind of impact the Word of God is going to have in your life. It's not on me for you. I can't control you. I've heard people say, this church is trying to control people. I want to say to you, that is true. That is true. It's about controlling. It's called self-control. It's about controlling yourself. Discipling yourself. Dealing, you know, I get tired of people telling me, you know, telling me what to do. You know why people are telling you what to do? Because you won't tell you what to do. It is, it's, it's, it's crazy that somebody else is more concerned about my growth than I am. That's just, that's nuts. No, I, it's on me and it's on you. Jesus has taken this word picture and it's like he's turned around and made a mirror out of it. And he's got the disciples and the crowd and the Pharisees and the family now in that picture. And saying, do you see yourself anywhere? It's so important that you get this. You see, I think a lot of times we think, well, if I get more knowledge, then that's what I need. More seed. Sowing seed on a hard path is gonna help it, not going to help it anymore. More seed is not the answer. 
It's not more head. It's more heart. More heart. Look at the Bible says here in Colossians 2, verse 7. Let your roots, let your roots, circle that, your roots. Let your roots go down into Him and draw up nourishment from Him. See that you, would you circle that you again? See that you go on growing in the Lord and become strong and vigorous in the truth you were taught. So how do I do that? How do I maintain a receptive heart? And I'm going to tell you three things I do that I think is why I'm still here. And if you'll do them, maybe God will bless you with a faith that lasts. The first one is, I open my heart to God's Word. I was such a stubborn man. Still got some stubbornness in me. I've got to admit that. Denise trying to share faith with me. Bless her heart. Trying to show me what the Bible had to say on becoming a Christian. And I'm just chopping at her, insulting her. I don't want to hear any of it. And she just keeps going. How does she put up with that? I do not know. I quit too soon. Praise God, I, I had somebody sharing their, my, sharing their faith with me that wouldn't quit. And finally, when I opened my heart to consider what the Bible said, it changed my life. Look, look at this verse here up here. It says, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on His law day and night. And what's this person like? That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. He's saying a person whose delight is the law. He opens his heart to what the Bible says. He thinks about it more than just reads it, but thinks about it during the day. He's like a tree that's strong and it bears fruit. It changes. It grows. It's not stuck. You see, you need to open your heart if you're, if you're the kind of person that's closed-minded, open your mind, open your heart to God because it's the pathway to growth and maturity. Number two, let godly people help me. Let godly people help me. Paul said this, I planted, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. I thought that's interesting. There's going to be people who are going to plant the Word of God in your life. And by the way, you keep planting the Word of God in, in the, your friends and family too. He says, you're going to have people do that. I, I'm one of those people. I've sown some seed. And Apollos watered it. What's that mean? He did things to encourage its growth. Maybe some reassurance. He goes, but God's the one that makes it grow. You do not grow by yourself. You hear me? You do not grow by yourself. You listening? You do not grow by yourself. As much as you, as much as we talk about not following people, don't assume we need to take them out altogether. We need godly people in our lives. Uh, Nathan Ward reminded me, Tim, you ought to say, you need to be that godly person in somebody's life. Yeah, you need to speak up in their life too. You need to plant that seed in water and watch what God can do. God's able to make it grow because of, of people in your life who are planting and people in your life who are watering and because you have a heart that's open. Then God can make it grow. That leads me to the third thing. I just think of all the people who have helped me. I mean, can you think of a few? The third one is I surrender my heart to God. What do you mean by that, Tim? I must be broken. 
I must be broken. I don't like that. You know, we're, Denise and I were putting this garden out this past week. Oh, we'll put this out real quick. It won't take a second. I get a shovel and I start digging and flipping over the... And it's a lot of work. It's perfect for growing. We grew tomatoes there. It's, it's fertile soil. But even the good soil has to be broken. And, and so I had to take a shovel and work it out. And then I took my little mantis tiller, if you ever see one of those, a little two-cycle tiller. It just pulverized that dirt. It had to be broken before. And Denise goes, look at this. It's perfect for planting. I said, yes, it is. It's all broken up, ready to go. I noticed something here, guys. In all the soils, the hard path, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, even the good soil, they all have to be broken up periodically. You know what I'm saying? They all have to be broken. If, this, if the, the other three soils could have been great soil. They just need, that was the thing that, that was missing. The path had to be broken. The, the rocks had to be brought out, break into that dirt. The weeds had to be pulled and, culled, and hoed, breaking the soil. And if... So Jesus is telling us here, I'm not stuck where I'm at, wherever my heart is. I'm not stuck there. All I have to do is be broken. And the seed, the Word of God, can have a tremendous impact on me. You know, guys, with, with what was said just the point before, I want to say this. God and people can sow and God and people can water. But I must come to God with humility and be broken before Him if it's going to grow. I heard a preacher one time say he prayed to be ruined. most dangerous prayer that you would ever pray to God is, Lord, break me. I want to warn you, if you ever pray, Lord, just break my heart, He will break it. And I'm telling you that it's dangerous to pray that, and yet it's essential that you pray like that. So the Word of God can grow. James says it this way, Submit to God and accept the Word that He plants in your hearts. For me to accept it, I have to be broken. Isaiah says it this way, I give new life to those who are humble and to those whose hearts are broken. This morning, where your, where's your heart? Wherever it is, it needs to be broken. Will you let God break it? Oh, it'll be awful. You'll be humiliated. You'll be reminded how powerless you are. You'll be reminded how much little you know. You might be embarrassed. But you will grow. You'll be fruitful. So what are you going to do with this lesson? What are you going to do with this story? That's why you have a card in your bulletin. It gives you a chance to write down a thought or a decision or a prayer request. Let me encourage you to listen closely to this story and not leave here unchanged, but challenged to know that God loves you so much. He wants to... He wants you to hear what you need to hear 
So it'll bear fruit. And it's up to you. It's up to you if it's going to grow. Let's pray. And we'll be through here. Father, thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you for a powerful, powerful thoughts in this, in this parable, Lord, of the sower. Father, we want to thank you for these parables because, Father, they, they make us think. Lord, you turn these stories from a word picture into a mirror and you want us to see ourselves. Where do you want us to see ourselves, Lord, in this picture? We want to hear, and we're so thankful that you long and want to see fruit in our life. Father, help us, help us change the condition of our hearts so you can help us grow and bear fruit and help us grow. Lord, I just think about the condition of my heart, Lord. And over the years, there's places where I have thorns and where it's hard. There's sacred places, Lord. I need to let people talk to me. Let them teach me. There are places, Father, cares of this world, worries in this life that sprout, Lord. And I pray, Father, you give me the strength and give me the faith to pull those weeds, to, get, to, to break, to let you break me in order to keep them from choking out and crowding out your purpose in my life, in our lives here at Greater Alton. Lord, I pray that we'll let godly people help us. That we'll be that godly person that will help someone today. And Father, most of all, let us submit to You and accept that life-giving seed, that message from Your Son that can change our lives. Father, we, we bring before You Jackie once more. And Father, You know, I... I've prayed for people and they've died as I've prayed for them, Lord. I, and I, I know that Your will is what is going to happen. And I pray, Father, that You will... that You'll heal her, to take care of her. But Father, if You don't, that's okay. That's okay. You have a big, bigger idea, a bigger eye for what's going on. But I pray, Father, that regardless of what happens that you'll always be honored and glorified by this, that Tom and Megan and Richard, you know, that will, that just the, the Tarantino family, Father, will really have a, their, their faith in you. Help us as a church to love them and support them through this tough time. We pray in Christ's name, amen.